gun violence is a huge part of the story and really making sure we were talking directly with families about how, again, to create that space that doesn't shy away from how um, uh, important and dramatic and tragic the story is, but also in a way that, um, you know, uh, makes it approachable and, and provokes that conversation. And the same thing absolutely is true with Emmett's story. We didn't want to, um, you know, shy away from that as well. We wanted to make sure that we were speaking very clearly and plainly and, and talking about um, the importance of what happened and saying the words of what happened um, and making sure that we were propelling people into action. That's Monica Ramsey, Director of Exhibits and Interactive Media at the Children's Museum of Indianapolis. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints, the podcast that connects you to the world through stories. Monica took us around the exhibit, The Power of Children Making a Difference, a permanent display at the Children's Museum of Indianapolis. The Power of Children debuted in 2007, initially sharing the incredible stories of three extraordinary children, Anne Frank, Ruby Bridges, and Ryan White. A fourth child story, Malala Yousafzai, was added to the exhibit in 2021. All four children are featured because of their unintentional legacies and emergence as heroes of the 20th century by overcoming hatred, racism, and fear. From its founding in 1925 by Mary Stuart Carey, an Indianapolis philanthropist whose family made its fortune making glass, Carey used her vast wealth, travels, and political influence to bring a children's museum to the Circle City after visiting the Brooklyn Children's Museum in New York City. Since its origins, the mission of the Children's Museum has been to create extraordinary learning experiences across the arts, sciences, and humanities that have the power to transform the lives of children and families. Nearly a century later, the Children's Museum of Indianapolis has become the biggest children's museum in the world. But it's not like any other children's museum you've experienced. The Children's Museum of Indianapolis offers more than touch-and-learn STEM exhibits and programming. In spaces like The Power of Children Making a Difference, the museum provides spaces for history and the voices of social justice to be heard in the hope that visitors will be immersed in the stories and be inspired to find ways to make a difference themselves. A towering chestnut tree stretching from the floor to the ceiling greets you as you enter the Power of Children Gallery. Named the Promise Tree, this artificial monolith of a tree draws its inspiration from the chestnut tree that provided Anne Frank solace from the Holocaust unfolding outside her attic window from her Amsterdam home. The Promise Tree is so immense, the archway carved in its base is large enough to provide the gateway to enter the exhibit. As the war closed in on Anne and her family, her tree became a reminder of and hope for a better world. Today, the model of Anne Frank's tree holds many promises for us all. You can see in, in some areas, you can see these silver leaves too, um, that are promises that people made when we opened the exhibit and we were um, adding to the tree. But this tree of promise, is meant to be kind of the gateway to come in and see these stories. And then you can take a pathway, you can choose a pathway to go 
and learn more about Ian's story and learn more about Ruby Bridges' story and Ryan's and Malala's. Mm -hmm. And then those will take you through, again, through their stories and the history and the context around their stories. And then they each have um, an all about area is kind of um, how we set in context what happened after kind of that significant point um, in their story. And so again, what they are doing now, others who were part of helping them or who were part of um, the, the issue that we talk about with each of them. Um, so it's another opportunity to talk about more powerful, powerful children. I mean, mm -hmm. I think we talk about two or three dozen children really in this space. Yeah, so this beautiful. whole tree is just so beautiful and, and um, just a really interesting and inviting thing to walk through and again, imagining, you know, how it was a source of, of peace and connection to the outside world uh, through Anne's eyes is, is just really interesting. And then as you walk through it, there are, you hear promises that uh, kids had written down and then we had uh, had them record it and so you can hear how, what their promise is oh, wow. on any different scale too. And you hear adult voices too. Um, this is definitely about the power of children, but we uh, talked throughout about how adults really need to be part of that with them and how they can help support children to feel that they've got the power to make a difference. Okay. I promise that I will listen. I promise to be nice to everyone I know. I promise to help the environment. I promise to take some time off watching TV and help my friends around the house. I love this. Leaving the Promise Tree, a short path leading to the space honoring Malala Yousafzai, the youngest person ever to be awarded the Nobel Prize. So we worked really hard to recreate um, the authentic spaces where they lived or was their sanctuary. Uh, so Malala's home is um, uh, kind of an amalgamation of a few different places her family lived over the years because they did have to move around a lot um, as you know they um, you know were were moving through her her formative years and going to school and that was just kind of the nature of how it was. So we've got um, the exterior of, of one home and this gate is um, you know the entry point to the home that was actually the last one they lived in before they had to uh, flee for the UK after she was attacked. Uh, we really wanted to talk about, because every time we talk to um, Malala's father, who was the, the um, one of many, but obviously a key uh, advisor on this, um, which is true of any of the spaces we have, you know, Ruby is our, our primary source uh, mm -hmm. to build her area. Uh, Ryan's mother, we worked with Anne Frank House, um, and we worked with the Yusafzai family and the Malala Fund, as well as um, uh, uh, members of our local community who are from Pakistan, tremendous support from them and really helping to help us build this picture, you know, and, and one of them was talking about how beautiful Swat Valley yeah. is and where they live. And um, another, another key point in everything we do across the building is to make sure that we are um, really thinking hard and, and t uh, intentionally about our accessibility. Mm -hmm. And for this and, and a number of other things, you know, we, I think we've done um, a lot in the last few years understanding um, how we can make sure people who use wheelchairs or other mobility devices can, you know, uh, participate. But really thinking about those who have um, low vision or who are blind or are deaf or hard of hearing. And so this map of the Swat Valley is very tactile and then it has uh, sensors um, to activate the, the narration that we're hearing that describes the river and Ngora and, and just again the beauty of the mountains. And these photos, some of these photos are from the Yusafzai's 
um, or um, journalists that they're friends with who have taken these photos. So it's really great to be able to include that. Oh, that's lovely. So it's really critical, and again, that's um, one of the successes that we've built upon and know is really important to include in, in the spaces like the Emmett Till experience. Um, having the ability to talk one-on-one -on -one with one of our staff members mm -hmm. to help uh, um, you know, interpret all of this content is really, again, what's really successful to, to broach these difficult topics. So we have, in each of the four areas, we have programming that um, ranges from informal conversations to museum theater where someone is embodying a character that is part of the story mm -hmm. and then we also have sound and light shows which is essentially a film but it's uh, surrounding you in the room there um, is lighting and uh, video and sound and it's a really immersive really immersive experience um, the specifically the programs that are more informal they're still structured but um, you know, a staff member will come out, they last about 10 or 15 minutes. Um, staff member will come out and figure out, you know, how to connect them with it. So one of my favorites that uh, was developed when we brought in the Malala story um, was really kind of a quiz to figure out what your power word is. And so a really um, a great way to say, well, you know, wisdom may be the power word that, that came up. And, and, you know, here's some suggestions of how you can use that power for good. And I think a lot of times people come in and they're so overwhelmed by the gravity of some of these stories. And they're like, what can I possibly do? Um, and, and it's an opportunity for us to say it's not about, you know, matching what they did at the scale that they did. There are so many other opportunities um, for you to be, um, you know, empowered. So that's what those programs are all about. In the early 1980s, a disease called AIDS terrified the nation, and misinformation about how the disease spread was rampant. Ryan White, an Indiana teenager, contracted AIDS in 1984 through treatment for his hemophilia, and he was expelled from school due to his condition. His fight to be allowed to return to school and live a normal life made him famous around the world. Ryan lost his fight with AIDS in 1990. Ryan's family kept his bedroom intact and they contacted the Children's Museum of Indianapolis about preserving his story. Ryan's face, this is a recreation of his bedroom ah. and his home um, in uh, a town just north of Indianapolis. And so this was, you know, his, his mother came to us and, and said, you know, this is what we have. And, and just lots of great relationship building and conversations about how we can use this to tell the power of, of Ryan's story and inspire other kids. So um, this is a space that really talks about how he was a normal kid. You know, there's a lot of familiar, at least to those of us who grew up with him at the time, but that sparks amazing family conversations about, um, you know, what you did as a child and what your kids recognize. There are a lot of celebrity memorabilia in there because he had so much celebrity support yeah. um, throughout the time he was advocating for, um, for AIDS um, care and, and acceptance. Um, so it's, it, Ryan's face is definitely about, um, you know, sorry, I'm gonna step in a little bit more. Having the, the power of your voice and speaking out. And so, um, you know, his advocacy everywhere, but you know, to Congress and, and, and advocating just within the school system. Mm -hmm. And then the 
all about area of Ryan, you know, talks about when he died and talks about, you know, his family after and and how people have been inspired after the fact. We actually um, added um, the Ryan White archives, which is, again, something that uh, we acquired from his mother and they're just piles of fan letters and support and memorabilia and we actually archived that so um, much of it is available online and it's primary source material that kids can use or research researchers can use so really great access there so that's that's ryan's area and the pathways leading up just you know set the stage for you so um ryan's pathway talks about who his family is and his uh -huh. sister loved to ice skate and here's the baby blanket that you know uh, you know, Ryan had. And then it talks about um, his diagnosis with hemophilia, what that is, and the, um, you know, factor eight and that treatment was how he contracted the disease. Mm -hmm. um, it also, we also talk about what else is happening at the time, like why were people so scared of AIDS and, you know, the lack of education. And that was his whole point. Like, if you just need to educate yourself. Right. Um, and he found advocates and, and friends and um, in the school system that helped him do that. Um, but really talking about the full context of the time too, talking about their story, but why their story was so profound. So with Ruby, same thing, talking about her family um, in New Orleans, talking about segregation, having some really strong object presence so people can see what that looked like. Mm -hmm. um, and lots of questions and prompts, um, you know, how would you feel if you were forced to follow laws that you thought were wrong? Just, we're all about setting up conversations, right? And then, um, as you come into Ruby's immersive area, it's the classroom that she uh, was in as a first grader. And you have to walk through the doors with protesters on either side of you. So we have cutouts of actual photos of people who are protesting. And again, we're not shying away from the really intense imagery. We want people to talk about it and see the gravity of this situation. And then we have the voiceover of, um, you know, those, those chants that she heard when she walked in, this little tiny girl. And so that when you come through, it's it's her safe place, right? Hey, Logan. So we've recreated her classroom right down to um, a little jacket hanging all by itself to her lunch that she would hide, um, Mrs. Henry's desk, and then, you know, a desk that she may, you know, have sat at. So. Um, just really recreating, again, that space so you feel like you're a part of the story. The year Ruby Bridges was born, the United States Supreme Court charted a new course for public education when it ruled that segregation was unconstitutional in the landmark case of Brown v. Board of Education. Six years later, in 1960, Ruby Bridges became the face of this momentous decision when she integrated the white school system in New Orleans. So then when you leave this space, um, Ruby's All About Area, again, sets, sets the scene in the country around that time. So um, talking about the civil rights movement, um, talking about, I love the foot soldiers for freedom, just seeing all the other activists, not all of them, a taste, a small yeah. taste of everyone else who was working um, at the time to, um, just, the list is so long, right? And I, I get overwhelmed because the work is still so, so important. So um, also talking about legislation, 
that was passed and you know those those objects that we have are really important to kind of help set the scene as well mm -hmm. um, in each of the areas and I didn't really talk about this in Ryan and Malala's but um, in each of these all about areas we're also talking about what happened in Indianapolis at the time too mm -hmm. um, and again in the greater context of the time so it's it's space travel and here's the uh, you know things that people were reading and watching on TV and the toys that were being played with so again just being able to share those connections when they're coming through with their grandparents or parents or even yeah. great-grandparents now. A porcelain figure of a Klansman. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. Yeah. Again, powerful. Like, it, it happened here. It happened here. And we need to make sure that um, that, that is not glossed over. Um, I personally am a firm believer in the phrase, museums are not neutral, which is a very, you know, widely... Uh, widely shared phrase and I am really proud to work in a place that um, embodies that you know it's it's about making sure that we share tough history mm -hmm. and we put questions out there for people to consider and be like oh you know I had no idea and even if it seems like it's so far away you know again that's why we're doing the till exhibit to show that we are still working through this have you have you guys gotten any pushback because you know there are a lot of people who are not comfortable with the full narrative of our of course shared. yes of course and i think that we would um be confused if we didn't because to your point it is very contentious it's very divisive and that is why we feel this needs to be there we feel that we need to put this history there we need to put these questions out there so that we're sparking conversation and we're a place where you can model what civil discourse looks like this is how you have conversations with people you don't agree with or um, you're, you just don't know about something and you need to feel like you can ask questions in a respectful way. Some people just don't engage because they're afraid to ask questions. I can think right. of a lot of instances that I've been in where I'm just like, gosh, I don't even know how to approach this without mm -hmm. seeming disrespectful or seeming ignorant or, you know, how do we help teach that mm -hmm. and, and put that in a way for, you know, kids to be able to um, to absorb and their adults to feel like they can help guide the kiddos through that too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's what all of this is about. After walking through the spaces dedicated to Malala, Ryan, Ruby, and other dynamic children like Greta Thunberg, we ended close to the promise tree at the house where Anne Frank and her family sought refuge from the Holocaust terror. Anne's um, area is the annex where she and her family hid with others. And so again, talking about what their daily lives were like, why they were there, and, and again, you can see we have swastikas there. And there is behavior that we've had to redirect. You know, when people um, maybe just don't understand really the, the gravity of what they're doing. Um, and being able to have those conversations, our, our staff are really well trained to, to address that. and. Um, make sure that it's, it's turned into a teaching moment that is, um, you know, really sending them away with something to think about. Now, I'm not saying that and highlighting it to say that that happens often, but, you know, to, to our point earlier, um, there are um, things that we have to anticipate and think about and be prepared for, and that's really important for us to make sure our staff feels that support um, in training and, and all of that. So. So talking about Anne, talking about what was happening in Germany, in Europe, um, and you know, right down to when her sister got her letter to go to a camp, and that's what sent them into hiding. 
And then the rest of the story is again, talking about what happened to Anne and her family and why the diary became so important, how they rediscovered it and how that was used and so powerful for so many people to read. Um, we did learn, at, not surprisingly, that one of um, Malala's, uh, um, I, gosh, I can't remember who it was that gave it to her, but reading Anne's diary was really important to her as a child. And um, she uh, was really honored, um, you know, we were honored to be able to tell her story, but she um, was also just so honored to be in a space with, with Anne because that had had such a profound impact on her. So. Is this meant to be a um, smaller version of this? Oh, this tree the here? The chestnut? Yeah. Uh, I think that this is just another kind of oak tree to um, okay. round out the, the okay. entire experience. Gotcha. But yeah, the, the tree that um, was at the annex was quite tall and towered over the buildings. Uh -huh. It actually came down in a storm within the last decade, but we um, were able to, um, we were the site in the U.S. to receive like 13 or 14 saplings from that tree. Oh, wow. And so we quarantined them here and then they went out throughout the, um, they went to other sites around the country. Um, and uh, that, that was pretty amazing. But we have one out front that is a chestnut tree. It, it, is, it is so big. It was it's smaller than this little, it was yeah, like, like this big three feet high. And now it's like, I don't know. Oh, wow. It's, it's much taller than yeah. this tree. But yeah, so that's out front in our building, uh, okay. of our building. Okay. And um, that is from the chestnut tree that she looked at. So, yeah. Excellent. The Children's Museum of Indianapolis is really like no other museum I've ever seen before. The, the stories, particularly through this exhibit, The Power of Children, were incredibly powerful. They're stories we're still talking about today, racism, fear, and adversity. And, but I don't want to uh, forget about some of the other things that the museum offers. They had a, an exhibit, a temporary exhibit on Emmett Till that is now traveling uh, the globe or traveling the country. Um, they have uh, sports sections. They have a paleontologist section. So a lot of a lot of STEM uh, exhibits, uh, but certainly something for everyone. And I think one of my favorite things personally uh, was the out, outside tennis court where uh, Barbara Wynn, who is known as a mother of youth tennis because of the program she created in conjunction with Arthur Ashe, um, she comes every day. She's 90 years old and she comes nearly every day and continues to train young people in the, uh, the sport of tennis. And I, I think that's just absolutely phenomenal. The Children's Museum of Indianapolis is one of those attractions that Indianapolis has that is world-class, that is really a calling card to invite oh, close to a million people a year to come there and see this. And the city historically has been trying to overcome notions that it's a sleepy Midwestern town, nap town, um, and all sorts of other monikers to uh, overcome what people perceive as some plain place out in the Midwest. But this museum, this museum is one of those places that firmly makes 
Indianapolis a major league place, more so than those sports teams and other things that they've worked on trying to draw people there. Absolutely. It's like a little blue dot in a red sea. Indianapolis or Indiana is one of the, the red states in, in this country. And so I think it's, you know, the, the, the social justice that they touch on, the, the progressiveness, just the learning experiences. Uh, that's what really sets the city aside, I think. When the whole world is silent, even one voice becomes powerful. Malala Yousafzai. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're so grateful to have you here. It would mean so much if you would leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening from. We'd love for you to join our community, so please subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter at worldfootprints.com. Thank you for your support and for helping us to make an impact and share the world through the stories we offer on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers and be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.